How are you? Welcome to the Builders Podcast. My name is Liam. And my name's Grace Ann. We're the co-founders of Storybook Marketing. And welcome to our very first episode. I love that we're finally doing this. Me too. And however you've happened to stumble across this podcast, we're so happy to have you listening. And if you're wondering what you're in for, the theme of our podcast is around building, particularly within marketing. And each episode, we're going to talk to the sometimes unsung marketers who aren't just talking the talk, but are walking the walk too. That's right. We're going to hear how they've actually done it, including why they did what they did and the hard-fought advice they've learned along the way. I'm so excited. So today, we're going to be talking about newsletters. I love a good newsletter. How many would you say you're subscribing to right now? Ooh, I'd say there's, there's a good 10 that I religiously read, and there's probably twice as many of that that I've honestly forgotten that I've even subscribed to. <laughs> that feels right. I'm notorious for subscribing to everything, but then never reading any of them. That said, newsletters seem to really be having kind of a moment right now, though, right? It really does feel like newsletters are back, right? Especially within marketing communities. But it also feels like there's a much more confusing landscape than ever when it comes to building a strategy. I mean, LinkedIn does newsletters. Substack is now the trendy place for content creators. And then there's a whole different world when it comes to personalization and interactive code. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that just covers the decisions you have to make around tools and processes. And that's before you even start thinking about a strategy, which is also really hard right now. <laughs> so many teams facing these pressures for immediate results. I'll be honest, email is not that channel. Not only is it a noisy channel, but it, it takes patience and time and it's an earned audience for sure. You cannot bite your way in. Trust me on that one. I have tried. And I know that waiting or trusting the process, as some may say, can be so, so hard. But thinking about strategy, it's so important to realize that you can't just think of email as a distribution channel anymore. It's its, its own content consumption channel. Mm -hmm. There's very much a growing expectation for newsletters to go beyond a collection of blurbs or links to a blog and instead deliver content that's valuable enough to stand on its own. Oh, yeah. And there's even a new term for it. Zero-click content. And speaking of zero-click content, nobody knows that better than today's guest. She's always written with intentionality and has a wealth of knowledge on today's topics from her experiences building both personal and professional newsletters. In addition to being a tenured content marketer, She's a former journalist and a Lake Cordon Blue train chef. What? Good Lord, what doesn't she do? Tell me about it. Currently, she is the VP of Marketing at audience research platform SparkToro. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest, Amanda Natividad. Amanda, welcome to the show. We are so happy to have you here. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. We are so excited to talk. And that's a great place to just jump right into it. The focus of the podcast really today is we we want to talk to you because we are huge fans of your newsletters, of your writing style. And we know that along the way, you've learned a ton of stuff, which we want to get into. And I guess a good place to start really is just on newsletters themselves. It feels like newsletters are the hot thing again. From your point of view, where, where are newsletters fitting into the marketing ecosystem these days? Yeah, I think, I think what's really interesting about newsletters is that they very much straddle the lines of 
being something that, you know, personal solo creators do. And of course, something that marketing teams also do. And so there's a lot of gray area in between. And I think what might be really difficult for some people is kind of understanding how to parse through that gray area and figuring out what to optimize, where to optimize it, and how. I'd love to start just on your personal newsletter, The Menu, which is a phenomenal mix of just exactly who you are across all different things, and yet is also recognized as one of the marketing newsletters to read. When you started that, I'd love to go back to that place of exactly, I guess, firstly, where was the conception of this? Why did you start that newsletter? Oh, this is a good question, especially because my newsletter has evolved a lot over the past, how long has it been? Maybe two years now? I think it's been two years. Yeah. It started out as, yeah, actually, I took David Perel's Rite of Passage course a couple years ago. And, you know, in that six-week course, we did a lot of writing. We got great feedback on essays that we had written. And the final assignment was to create your own newsletter. And so, and, and you know, I mean, because Rite of Passage is for people who want to write for the internet, I mean, it covers any kind of person, right, or any kind of goal, as long as you want to write. So, you know, it was like, do a newsletter, however you want to do it, like, the whole point is to hold yourself accountable to publishing regularly. So whatever format you want, here are a couple of different formats. Maybe you send it every, you know, every Friday and it's your Friday newsletter. And it's like all the things you it's you read throughout the week distilled into a newsletter or, you know, whatever it is you want it to be. And so when I first started it, I I had a specific format of short essay for links to read and a recipe to try. And it's mostly been that for the for the most part, but where I have where I've changed it over time has been like sometimes it's only been the essay. Like if I spend more time on a longer essay, then maybe I want it to shine, or like I just didn't have time to curate more links, so I just didn't. So I'll just skip it. Or other times I've skipped the recipe and instead written like a food or kitchen tip. So I've so I kind of started it. I guess to go back to your original question, it was. I started it to hold myself accountable to publishing regularly and to, and my personal kind of goal was I want to write something or do something creative that I'm proud of that, that signals to, to myself. Like I did some interesting reading and processing and writing and I want this newsletter to convey that. And I think a part of me too is like, I want this to be like something that I would write to my close friend. And mm-hmm. so I think when I first, first started it, it was about kind of anything. It wasn't really about marketing, even though it was mostly about that. I think I remember writing about like, uh, I think I had even like one edition on crypto. It was a really short one, but like I wrote about that a little bit. Um, I think I've talked about like renting versus owning maybe, but just kind of different kinds of life topics, but more recently went more in the direction of marketing. And I think it was partly because a lot of people said, like, I like this marketing newsletter. And then the first time I heard that, you know, maybe several months ago, I thought, it's a marketing newsletter. I, I was like, I didn't know it was. I guess, like, yeah, I'm a marketer, but I just thought it was my newsletter. And I didn't really have, I didn't have positioning for it. I didn't have like a, 
this is the content marketing place to go. I didn't have any of that in mind. I was like, I'm just writing for my internet friends. And I think after hearing from people that it was a marketing newsletter, I sort of thought like, oh, maybe I should treat it like one. So I guess I would say, in the longest roundabout way of saying this, it's sort of an ever-changing thing that sometimes at the end of the day, I'm not sure myself if it's a marketing newsletter. I think that's so fascinating how, you know, not only did you start out with the intention of making it a marketing newsletter, but ultimately the driving force behind starting it were these more personal goals, the idea of having something that you could hold yourself accountable to as as a means for doing that, which I just, I think it's such an interesting perspective and, and probably different than to where a lot of people may be backing into these types of initiatives with this, you know, specific idea in mind of what they want this to become. And not that that's wrong. I just think it's such an interesting perspective that it can grow and evolve and flourish to a place that is something different than you ever expected it would be. Yeah. And maybe we can, maybe we can dig into that a little bit of like, is it wrong? I mean, you said, you know, like, I think there are other perspectives you can take on this. And you could say that I think it's completely fair and defensible to say that what I'm doing is wrong. Like if I wanted to grow a an influential marketing newsletter, I think I would look at my own newsletter and say like that's not it. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think I would say that. And I, maybe I we guess, can kind of push on that a little bit. <laughs> and I guess like on that note, how then is your treatment of the Sparktoro newsletter different? What's different about your approach, the way you do it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I so the Sparktoro newsletter is different because those are all the things so that that format that's evolved too, but it's generally three insights about audience research or marketing, three resources or articles that we think are worthy of sharing, and then three um, social media posts like just about in the marketing world. So with that, I try to make it. I try to balance the perspective of like myself as an individual and like Sparktoro as a brand. So mm. I'm try- I try to be careful about being like, I don't want this to be like, these are all the things Amanda is thinking about. I want it to be, these are the things that Rand, Casey and Amanda are thinking about or talking about. We don't always agree with every single thing that I link to. Like one time I, I linked to two kind of opposing social media posts. And so, and a reader was like, a very astute reader was like, you link to two, two different ones. Like, I'm a little confused. Which one are you advocating for? And it was a great question. But my response was, oh, I didn't even think about it as, hey, here are things you should believe in. I think about it as, hey, these are things that I think are worthy of thinking about. And I think a lot of that is just based on most of the time, there isn't really one correct one size fits all marketing approach. Usually, right? The answer is it depends. And so that's where maybe, maybe that's where the big difference is. It's more here are things that we think are interesting, worthy of thinking about that require more thought that maybe you reader should consider and push back on. And if you want to write your own blog post, right? Or you defend it. Whereas my, my personal newsletter is a little bit more of here's what's going on in Amanda's world. This is what Amanda Mm -hmm. is thinking about. This is what Amanda believes in. 
Something you just said about the SparkTora newsletters is really interesting because I think a lot of marketers, particularly when they're building a newsletter, the goal is bigger, as many subscribers as possible. And you're just describing individual feedback from a reader who picked up on something like that's a very focused down on experience rather than volume and success. Yeah, it is. I mean, and and, you know, I mean, I would also say maybe we could push back on that, right? Like, is it worth it for me to think about one person's feedback? I think there are other people who might say like, no, who cares? It's with one person or like, sure, but take it with a grain of salt. And maybe that's partly true. But I feel like when I think about some of the like massive newsletters that probably by different standards have a higher degree of influence, those are the ones that I don't read. Like I don't I know that they exist and I don't discount the hard work that goes into that. But usually when I see some of the content, I think mm, I can tell that like an intern wrote this and then the assistant manager like proofread it and then nobody else actually dug into this. And like and it's not that it's not true, right, or that it's badly written. It's just there's a this little bit of like I can tell that somebody just picked up that stat from somewhere and they just kind of shoehorned it in. I'm like, I can tell. So like. I think because I personally don't think I'm influenced by some of that stuff, it definitely, you know, colors my own experience or the way that I'm going about the Sparktoro newsletter, which is I really want people to see this and really see and understand that it's coming from Amanda, Rand, and Casey in some way versus like some faceless marketing entity that's like, look at this blog post on, you know, 10 headlines to write, which any, and like anybody could do that, right? Like that could come from literally anyone. It doesn't need to come from me. It doesn't need to come from SparkToro, but yeah. Yeah. And I guess kind of building on that and in, in terms of what your goals for the SparkToro newsletter are right now and thinking about, you know, both qualitative and quantitative aspects of measurement and, and how you measure the the newsletter, you know, thinking about engagement versus volume of subscribers and growth of the the newsletter list, like how do you sort of look at that, and, and how do you sort of measure the success of this part for our newsletter? So I, I I measure success largely through open rates and click throughs, and sometimes I'll do cross promotions with other newsletters or just other people who might have something else to promote. And so the thing I'll look at is, or I'll ask this person, the person I'm doing the cross promo with, how many new subscribers or customers they got. Because that's, that's kind of how I think about the general degree of influence. Like if they were to say like, like if my newsletter is is reaching like 60,000 people and I, I send them all a link to sign up for some newsletter and that newsletter runner, you know, says like, oh, I got like five five subscriptions. I, th- I would think that's not good, right? I'd be, I'd be a little bit worried and I'd kind of be like, oh, maybe I wrote it too like spammy or like maybe it really wasn't the right audience fit and people reading it were like, I don't want that kind of newsletter. So I do I do look at that kind of stuff, but I guess I take it more with a qualitative lens where like, yeah, bigger's better, right? Sure. But like these days, like that's not just not the reality. So I, I do kind of try to take all this into context and think about like, you know, 
is this performing well or like things like even just is my open rate pretty steady, right? Is it is it like hovering around 30%? I think that's good. If it dips below that, I get a little bit worried. And then maybe one, it's a signal that I need to clean the list because maybe there are just too many inactive people. Or two, then I think maybe it was either a bad week. So sometimes it happens. You, you have bad timing. Or maybe there was other stuff going on in the news cycle. People don't want your newsletter. It happens. But I think for for SparkToro, most likely it's because I didn't have a good like headline in the subject line. Mm. Most likely it's that. Kind of going back to your personal newsletter versus the SparkToro one, and not, not necessarily versus, but one difference between the two of them is very much is like one is a a way of kind of linking traffic towards the blog versus like the person wanted much more of a content experience itself. How do you decide on which, like to your point about what kind of newsletter you're actually trying to build? Yeah. Um, hmm. So I have a, so one thing I do for both newsletters is I take my zero click content approach of whatever is written in the newsletter needs to be standalone in some way. Mm. So in the case of my personal newsletter, it's easy in that it's a substack. So whatever I write in the substack goes to the inbox. So that's kind of different, right? In the case of SparkToro, where it's, you know, three, 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 like nine different things. That means to me that those nine different things each, each need to have standalone value. So like the audience research tip, it's a short paragraph on maybe how to better pitch yourself as a guest on a podcast then I want that to be a tip that somebody can just read in like, you know, 80 words and be like, great, got it. I'm going to do that. Versus being like, wait, what? Like They, they just teased a blog post. And maybe, maybe like I wouldn't write a teaser that's like, here's the way, here are five ways to guarantee you get a placement on a podcast. Maybe that's a good headline, you know, maybe. But I wouldn't put it in the newsletter. And the same goes for when I'm linking out to a blog post, like I'll take one standalone insight from the blog post and maybe the blog post is, so I had a recent one on like sort of a crash course on speaking at conferences and it covers everything from like when you pitch yourself to when you're actually at the conference. So for that, I think I just brought, I just resurfaced one tip and was like, when next time you, you know, pitch yourself as a guest speaker, you should talk about how you'll help cross-promote cross the event. Talk mm -hmm. about the size of your email list. It's okay if you don't have a huge list. The more important thing is that you're honest about it and that you're upfront about what you'll do and what you won't do, how many people you think you might reach, because even that alone will make you stand out from the crowd. So like that's a standalone insight that you might read it and go, oh, great. Like, actually, it's all I care about. I'm moving on. Or you might be like, oh, that's a really good tip. Like, I want to read what else there is. So that's mm -hmm. kind of how I approach that. Yeah, I love that. And, and so for those who might be listening and, and hearing all this and thinking about starting a newsletter, whether, you know, a personal newsletter or they're in a position where their company and their team wants to start an email newsletter. In terms of getting started, where do you start? I would say get super clear about what your goal is. Just pick one goal and be super honest with yourself about what you want it to be. And maybe think about the goal as like, what do I want? Like, what outcome do I want in six months? Or maybe mm -hmm. it's 12 months, whatever makes sense for you. And 
be super honest about it and then build a strategy around that. And a common thing I hear from my creators is, oh, my goal is, and it's similar to mine, which is my goal is I want to write regularly. I want to publish regularly. And Mm -hmm. I want to get into the habit of just creating stuff. And I want this newsletter to hold me accountable for that. So my goal is to publish regularly. So then I would say maybe the strategy that you build is just really focus on like yourself. Like what are the things you can do to operationalize, to better operationalize yourself to get the work done? And Mm -hmm. then that could be, those could be your KPIs. Like, did I do the thing? Did I write the thing? Did I send the thing? Great. That could, that works for like a personal or Rick solo creator. Maybe a different goal that someone can have is, you know, I, I want to be like in 12 months, I want my newsletter to be the place where aspiring podcasters go. Like I want people to go to this newsletter because they want to go from zero to one. They want to learn how to conceptualize and produce a great podcast. They want to come to my newsletter. Great. So then you build your strategy around purely that. How can you always or just, yeah, always consistently deliver on great insights about beginners podcasting? And this might sound like one of those things that's like, yeah, duh, that's so obvious or that's simple. but very few people do this, like, and myself included. Like, if you were to ask me, like, what is your newsletter about? I might kind of hand wavy say marketing, but I'm kind of like shy about it. If Mm -hmm. I were to say, like, I want to have like the best marketing newsletter, I don't think I would be doing my newsletter in the way that I am. Because like, there are all these little things like the recipe, for instance. Like, I think it's nice because I like to cook. There are a lot of readers who think it's nice. But I bet you there are also a lot of readers who are like, what the hell is this? Like, I don't want your weird food. Like, why are you sending me this? I wanted marketing. Like, I don't want to make a tofu, like, soup. Like, get out of here. <laughs> and that's completely fair, right? People don't go to the go to things for the same reasons. But I think, like, if you're clear on what your goal is, you can develop a clear strategy behind it. And with that content strategy of, like, here's what I'm going to write, here's how I'm going to write it. Then you can also think about your distribution strategy. Like, how are you going to optimize your landing page? How are you going to even just get some of that top of funnel referral traffic to your website so that people do want to subscribe to your newsletter? Like, if you're writing for yourself, like solo creator, hold myself accountable, you're not going to be, you're not going to care as much about having a, uh, you know, a conversion focused, like optimized website. But if you wanted like the best podcasting newsletter, if you wanted to write the best product management newsletter, then you should be thinking about how to optimize your landing page. I'd love to ask you about the growth of the newsletter because everything you're saying, like it, it makes so much sense. And I know one of the things about newsletters that's challenging is that you have to earn a database. It's not something you can force in. And I mean, I learned this earlier in my career when I was tasked with Hey, grow our newsletter database. We ran a bunch of ads, got a load of signups. None of them read the newsletter because it turns out people don't want to subscribe for something they haven't already experienced the content that's going to be within it. So how do you kind of handle that cold start earning your way to an audience? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to do. I mean, I guess when I hear that question, my brain splits off into two directions of the marketing team versus solo creator. The way that, I mean, I have a kind of slow and steady approach. I think the way I've gone about it is a lot of 
cross promotions with other newsletter operators among similar sizes. That way it feels kind of fair. However, huge caveat, it also depends on how someone else built their list. Because I've also collaborated with people who have a lot more subscribers than SparkToro's newsletter. And SparkToro's newsletter has like over 50,000 people now. I've collaborated with people who have much larger lists, who I think have probably did a lot of email list buying, which Mm. I don't think is a bad thing, but I think it's just a thing, right? It's not going to be like an email list. Like, I think it's fair to say that an email list you buy is not the same quality as the email list of people who said, oh, I really want Liam's and GA's insights on this specific topic. I'm going to sign up. Those are two different people. So, you know, not all not all subscriber bases are created equal. So there's that. Um, but yeah, thinking about cross promos. And maybe the other way I would think about this is what are what are the ways that you can lower as many barriers to entry for new subscribers as possible? And I think there are a couple ways you can do that. One is to just be super specific on the thing you deliver deliver it and do it consistently. That alone is something that a lot of people don't do. A lot of people, brands, whatever, a lot of people don't do that. They might think they do it, but they don't. And by consistently, I don't mean you have to do it every day. It's just what I mean is each time you publish, it needs to deliver on that thing. It doesn't mean you have to publish every single day or every single week. It's more of if you're going to publish, you know, 24 times in a year, Are you batting, you know, 24 for 24 or are you like 15 for 24? Because that's not great, right? So do the thing you're going to say that you say you're going to do. That's a really great way to get noticed, especially to stand out among the noise, because that's when, you know, you're going to see people on social media, for instance, who are like, hey, I really want to get started on podcasting. Um, Should I hire a coach? Like, what do I do or should I go? that you want to be the person that other people go like, oh, you need to go find Leah, Liam and GA's newsletter. Like mm-hmm. you need to go to that because they have everything you need to get started. Like go there because yeah. you want to be that person. And even, and I keep using this random example, <laughs> it was completely made it up. But it, even just taking that example, like beginners podcasting, how many people do you know who have a newsletter about beginners podcasting? Can you name two? Probably not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I can't. Like, I was kind of why I said it. I'm like, yeah. I mean, you think about any like yeah. niche in marketing, you probably only think of like maybe, maybe one person and yeah. you could be that person. Even if you think about like, where's the best place to go for content marketing, like a content marketing yeah. newsletter? I can't think of one. And maybe it's because like, Content marketing is different to a lot of people. Like mm. there are a lot of people who would probably say Anne Handley, mm. but mm. is sh- is her content for beginners content marketer who's learning how to run a blog? Not really. Mm-hmm. It's most. I I mean I would probably describe Anne Handley's newsletter as like great writing, copywriting, marketing adjacent. It's it's a great newsletter. It's just yeah. if you were to say like, is this the best content marketing one? I don't think I would say yes. And again, it's obviously not a knock on Anne Hanley. She's a legend. <laughs> I just mean in this specific instance, in this specific right. definition. Yeah. 
And I think that really speaks to the topic that's become more popular, I think, particularly recently around just niching down, niching down your content, niching down your services, getting really specific with what you're speaking to. And, and, you know, on that note of intentionality, I'm curious what sources you draw from for inspiration, or I guess where you drew your inspiration when you were first starting your newsletters and maybe where you're drawing inspiration from now. Oh, yeah. A lot of different areas for a lot of different reasons. So let's see. I really love Ana Lorena Fabrega's Fab Fridays newsletter. So Ana... So okay. Anna writes about like education for okay. for kids. And I think it's fascinating. I'm a, I'm a parent, so of course I think it's fascinating. Is it for everybody? Definitely not. But her writing is I, I love her writing. It's crisp, it's clear, it's direct, it's fun to read, and she consistently delivers on really interesting and like truly novel insights about early education. That I'm like, I think how does she do it? And it's not super long every time. She links to an essay. It's like her thoughts. Maybe it's links to podcast appearances that she's done. But I like it because like I'm a fan of her and her thoughts. And I like following along. I learn a lot from her and it's great. Um, on a different spectrum of things, I really like Alex Garcia's Marketing Examined. Mm-hmm. I think Alex mm-hmm. is really good at delivering on the, this is a growth marketing newsletter here's what you, here, here it is every week. He delivers it constantly, right? It's like, it's it's one of those newsletters that you're like, what are, what's a good marketing newsletter? And you have to think of marketing examined because he takes a close look at all the different marketing things, right? And I say growth marketing, but it's probably marketing. And I mean, theoretically, every all marketing should be done through a growth lens, right? But he does some deep dives into like SEO, content in general, true like growth market customer acquisition and like does various deep dives. And what I also really like is that he he talks to the people who are doing it. So there was one oh the 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 women who did the Taylor Swift Wordle. I forgot what it was called. But like when Wordle was really popular, at least yeah. two women, I think it was two women, he came out with a Taylor Swift version. And like the traffic exploded like in days and it was incredible. And what I really liked about Alex's or marketing examines approach was he interviewed them and was like, how did you do this? What was your acquisition strategy? And a lot of people don't even do that. A lot of people, what I see is they do their own external analysis, like through HRFs and they go, this is how they did it. And it's like, that's how you think they did it. When you go outside looking in, you're like, I think you're like 10% right. What was that? (laughs) Is that I feel like this validates our podcast approach. <laughs> yeah, it does. Because like, I mean, like a lot of people just don't do the work of, oh, let me go talk to the person who did the thing. And then they can go, they can tell, they can explain how they did it. And like, this is my little, it's a small gripe that I have with some of these generalized, not generalized, but these teardowns that you might see of like, here's how Masterclass built a billion dollar empire. And it's like, they had this like super strategic, like, Oh, they went through all the backlinks. They made all this content. They did a skyscraper approach. Like, I feel like all those things are correct if you backwards rationalize it. Yeah. I don't know the masterclass team. I don't know them. And so I have no idea how they did it. But I, but I bet you, like, there's, I bet you they're talented people. I bet you they're smart. Great. Of course. 
But do I do do I think that when they started their content marketing strategy, they went, oh, let's do the the skyscraper tech. Let's get all like let's let's target thousands of backlinks by month two. Like I don't I don't think they did that. I don't. That's not how decisions are made when you work in house. And you you both know this, right? That's not how people think about things. That's mm-hmm. not how this, the CMO isn't going like we're going to have a thousand backlinks by the end of the month through this strategy. It's most likely right. Like we need to get we need to build up our domain authority. We need to get our content yeah. out there. How are we going to do that? And yeah. then you you chart the path forward. So, and I think what the, one of the aspects that's often lost in those conversations is like, while that might have been right for them, that doesn't mean it's going to be right for you or your team or your program. And it's it's certainly the philosophy we've always had in those kinds of perspectives that you know just because this is how one team or company did it and it was right for them and it worked for them doesn't mean that it's going to be writs and repeat for another company. And there's so much value in just unpacking, well, let's just understand what you did, how you did it. If I can understand why you did the things that you did, then maybe I can determine if it's right to apply to me. Totally. And like, could a similar company to Masterclass, so like maybe a general online online education company, do what Masterclass did now? Probably not because Masterclass already did it. <laughs> exactly. It's the people that are the first to do it. And how yeah. I think we've heard this so many times where, you know, someone who does something for the first time, it works really well for them. And then a bunch yeah. of brains go and try to replicate it and it doesn't work as well. It's totally. Like, well, and, re- and replicating the thing that they think they did, right? Like I'm so, I would be so much more interested to learn about Masterclasses, like their leadership team and their practitioner team like mm-hmm. i'd be so much more curious about how they think through first principles than what does some random marketing person who's never met them think about their backlink profile i don't care about that <laughs> yeah and, and so i guess sort of like bringing us back to the, the the topic of newsletters and thinking about where you're at right now in the growth of Sparktoro's newsletter what are your plans, you know, for maybe the next year? What are your goals for Sparkpour's newsletter over the next year? What do you hope, you know, it, it accomplishes and, and becomes? I'm a little bit nervous about this because I kind of don't know. Like, I really want it to be, I really want it to be one of the top three, two or three best newsletters, best marketing newsletters, period. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want, like, I want most marketers to think about what's the best marketing newsletter or like if I could only subscribe to three of them, what's one of them? I want it to be SparkToro. Um, I also think my other goal is I want audience research to be something that more marketers just know. Like, you know, now you can say content marketing. Cool. Got it. Demand generation. Cool. I know what that is. I want to be able to say like this is the audience research newsletter and have people go like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. So this is a more of like a general, you know, very uh, brand awarenessy thing. Um, and what I'm also interested in is I'm just really interested in earned or organic media. Like I know that I can like cheat my way there by buying lists and stuff or doing a bunch of paid placements. But I also don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean couple of reasons, right? Like one, it's hard to justify the cost of that. I'd be curious from you both, like, how would you think about like the cost of a newsletter subscriber? I mean, maybe you would do some, na- I mean, I would, <laughs> I'm not going to say what you would do, 
you would know better than I would, I think. But like, I would kind of think about like, well, kind of what's the lifetime value of a Sparktoro customer, which we're having trouble defining. How, but like, how does that relate to a newsletter subscriber? Like, it's not the same. Mm. Like, I have, I, I just have a lot of trouble, like, asking for budget or just justifying the budget for something if I don't feel confident about how I'm spending it. Mm-hmm. That's one. But also, like, I just really want to create something that is just so good that people are like, I really want this newsletter or they recommend it freely because they're like, this is so great. I want everyone else to read this too. Wait, I do have a question. Yeah. Well, how do you both think about like paying for lists or costs of newsletter subscribers, especially relative to your customers? So I, I got indoctrinated into newsletters at one point. So when I worked at NewsCred, I was running demand generation there. And the newsletter at NewsCred, which was funny enough, at the time, it was the most popular entry to content marketing newsletter. It had like 250,000 subscribers. Like it was a big deal. It was a big deal even before I inherited it. So it was a big newsletter. And it was kind of a catch-22 because it was easy to promote because you could say 250,000 people subscribe to this. So that alone was the magnet to bring people in. But it generated tons of value. But all of that value was years of built up. Like people you added in today turned into customers two years from now. So it was this really long-term play. And I used to boast about it because I would go and I, I would get like speaking engagements with the company and say like, our newsletter is responsible for a third of our marketing-driven revenue, which was true. But what I didn't say was half of the people who were in there had been in that newsletter cycle for sometimes a year, like a year and a half before they ever found their way out to an event and, and met up. So it kind of was one of those that anyone we tried to inject into the newsletter didn't deliver any immediate value. So the number was sort of, it, it, there was no value to it. It had to just be, it was more about preserving the quality and not letting that diminish regardless of the size of the database. Oh, that, that's fascinating. And I used to read the news, the news cred newsletter. Did you really? Um, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I mean, I maybe, I don't know if like all listeners would know this, right? But also news cred's offering was expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah. From, especially from like a time in a time and resource standpoint, it's not one of those. It wasn't like software you just buy it. Like, Great, it's done. It's mm-hmm. like it, it's it's a service and kind of and software, right? It's, it's right, also, yeah. also mm-hmm. software, right? That you that content marketers or whoever other marketers, but I think of it as content marketing would buy and use for distribution and content creation and like maybe I think syndication as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a really robust offering. So it also makes sense to me that you would have people who convert to customers years later because people are probably like for years like I don't have the budget for this so I don't have the time for this or I don't have enough of my own platform to justify this a lot sense? of our play was people in that newsletter cycle would eventually get promoted into roles where they had more budget authority and they would say um, I already know who I would go to and we did see examples yeah. of that we also <laughs> saw examples of the opposite where someone once joined the company as a candidate who had been reading the newsletter for about two years and didn't know we were a software company. So we we skewed too far in the integrity of content. So there was a little bit of that too. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So great. And I guess, you know, just kind of in that same vein um, and, and thinking about sources of inspiration and, and newsletters we've all subscribed to and engaged with, what newsletters are you subscribing to? Oh, way too many. And I read them all at very different times. I think I'm sure anybody whose list I'm on, any newsletter operator, if they, I mean, they just like see like 
my my behavior. They're probably like, what is wrong with this person? <laughs> because I'll go like a whole month without reading someone's newsletter, but I'm on their list. And then I'll eventually carve out a day where I just kind of like blast through them. So if you were like looking your ESP and like see my behavior, it would be like, like deliver, 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 like 10 of them in a row. And then yep. all of a sudden open and clicked. And then all of them. You leave them unread in your inbox. Yes, I'm a terrible just- person. <laughs> I go through, I go through spurts where I'll be really, really bad about reading them. And I just get, you know, sort of buried in work for a couple of weeks at a time. And then I'll sort of come back up for air and I'll catch back up on all of them. And then I sort of get into, I'll go into like a spree of signing up for a bunch more of, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll convince myself that I'm going to be better about, you know, reading new content, continuing to educate, and I'll go sign up for a bunch. And then I'll kind of get backed up and then they'll like pile back up. And I tend to go through similar phases of, you know, just read a bunch of them in bulk. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of because there's so many that you kind of just have to batch it. Okay, here's how here's how I manage my newsletters. And I'm sure there's a better way to handle it. And you're both going to be horrified. And anyone listening will be horrified. So I don't use my I don't use my personal email address for my newsletters. I have a separate Mm -hmm. email account. I mean, you could probably guess who I am if you were to like look at your list and see my name there. But it's, it's not my it's a different name, basically. And so I do most of my subscriptions through there. And then I also have some some subscriptions through my SparkToro email address. And then those are more like um, kind of industry newsletters that I kind of that I kind of mentally bucket in with SparkToro work. Mm -hmm. So like Seer Interactive's newsletter I subscribe to for my work email. Um, I think there are a couple other ones. I think Foundation Inc. I subscribe to for my work email and I read those like my work email. And then on my other like kind of, it's not really a throwaway email, but just other secret email. That's kind of everything else. That's where I, that's where I batch read. And I subscribe to Caitlin Burgoyne's Why We Buy, um, Anne Handley's newsletter. Who else is there? Um, Marketing Examined, Marketing Examples, Nathan Baugh's uh, World Builders, I think that's what it's called. I read his, it's about storytelling. I read his newsletter. Um, yeah. And then... Substack newsletters, that's a separate thing in my mind because I don't like reading that in my email. It's annoying to me. I just go to the Substack app and then I mm-hmm. read stuff there. So I really like um, Nat Eliason's work. He used to do the Monday, Monday Medley and now he writes more about just longer form essays on like philosophy or like the world or just in general. And like, you know, Nat's a friend and I just love his work. So I support him and like read his stuff there. Yeah. Those are kind of the main ones. Interesting. That's such an interesting, I, I'd never heard that about having an email for all of your newsletter subscriptions to go to. I love that. It's kind of ridiculous though. I'm sure like there's a better way to manage it. But I think part of it too is basically any creator friend I have who has a newsletter, I subscribe and I read at least half their newsletters. But yeah. then I'm also cognizant, probably maybe too cognizant of like, I don't want them to feel self-conscious if I were to unsubscribe from my personal email. Like I'd rather just, they just like not know. Cause like, I don't want to know. Like, I, I, don't know. I love sometimes, that. Sometimes people ask me like, do you look at who unsubscribes? And, like, do you get mad at your friends? And truly I don't. Even when my list was like 50 people, mm-hmm. no, I didn't. I, 
if I, or maybe I would look I'm, because like, the volume is so small. Once 50 people, how do you not see it? Um, yeah. But I never got mad. I was never like, oh, that person, like, oh, my friend Jamie and subscribe. That sucks. Like, why'd she do that? Yeah. I very much was like, this is email is very personal. This thing is not serving her. Like, I am not mad. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ugh. That's so good. Well, this has been incredibly enlightening. Um, this has been such a great conversation. One just sort of last question here to to bring us home. You know, having started and run, you know, both your own personal newsletter and now Spark Toros, just knowing what you know now about this process and things you've learned along the way, if you could go back in time to when you were first starting them and give yourself one piece of advice, what do you think it would be? Ooh, I would think about maybe my piece of advice would be if you want to monetize this newsletter, you need to be more strategic about it. (laughs) That's my honest feedback. I've I've been lucky to have a couple of sponsors. Um, And even at the beginning of this year, I was like, here we go. I'm going to go and get more sponsorships. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. And then I just didn't, I straight up just didn't do it. I was like, man, I'm lazy. I don't want to do that. But I do think it's really important to think about and to be honest with yourself about because, look, if you don't want to do it, cool, then don't. If you do want to monetize your newsletter, one, don't feel bad about it. I feel like some people reflexively are like, "Yeah, that's gross. Like, you should just yeah. do it for the art. You know, like, do you. Do what's right for you. If you want to monetize your newsletter, by all means, go for it. But if you do, then you do need to get super clear about the value that you're bringing to the table. and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you need to be super clear about like, or like you need to figure out how can I make my subscriber list high value? Meaning, how can I make sure I build up a list of people who are primed to buy a thing? So maybe if you want to secure sponsorships or like monetize it, then you have to think about like, well, who are the types of sponsors you want to attract? And mm-hmm. your answer cannot be, Brands that I admire, no, because that's not specific enough. Like brands that you admire could be anything, could be anybody. What you need to do is think about like, well, do you want your sponsors to be B2B services? Maybe, right? But those are going to be like higher ticket prices or like their offerings are going to be more expensive. Therefore, Mm -hmm. you're probably going to need to build a list of people who maybe have a lot of authority or influence who can influence big ticket buying decisions. And yeah, like maybe it's that. Or maybe you want to get sponsorships from like e-commerce brands that you like. And that's also a great goal. But that also, but that means that like, then maybe you need to position yourself as more of like, why would somebody, an email subscriber or reader, why would somebody buy through my affiliate link? for this like probiotic beverage, right? Then like, like you have to think about that. And if, if that's, if that's the goal, right? And you're getting, you're sending, you're sending people to buy like things that cost 20 or $30, um, then cool. Your reader's probably a consumer. A consumer can have a beauty background, right? It's a person who consumes the thing, but think about how your content kind of incentivizes that type of buying behavior. So, Maybe you want to position yourself as like, I know all the hacks for parenting. I mean, I don't know, right? It's making that up. 
then maybe your first sponsorships can be people in the parenting e-commerce space. And that, mm-hmm. that, that, that's a through line that makes a lot of sense. Um, so that's a kind of, that's a long answer, but I think that's really important for people to hear because not everybody thinks, and myself, like, I don't know, I don't know all this now. This is kind of in hindsight, but not everyone knows how to monetize a newsletter. I'm still learning myself. Mm-hmm. And currently now I'm in the bucket of like, I've decided I just don't care enough to monetize it. If a sponsor comes my way that wants to like sponsor my newsletter, I one, I never guarantee like, yeah, like I can drive like like mm-hmm. 300 clicks, like totally. I might be able to, but I also don't know what people are going to do after they click. Because I, I did work with a sponsor who um, they're offering, basically they wanted, their, their hope was to get consultations, mm-hmm. like get people to schedule consultations. And I don't think a lot, I think they got, they got one through my newsletter. And they were, you know, they expressed a little bit of disappointment, but they they weren't like angry about it. But then I thought like, oh, that's really hard to get, though, because then you'd have to assume that my readers are people who would consider purchasing your service or offering who then want to schedule a consultation within like a week of clicking the link. I'm like, that's a that's a really low probability, really, really low, like. Yeah. If, if you were to profile me as like marketing leader at a B2B SaaS company, and then I saw an ad for like B2B growth consultation, that's definitely relevant to me, but like, I'm just not very likely to click on that or like, yeah. or take an action. I mean. Right. Right. That is yeah. a fascinating answer. That's great advice. That's could, really great advice. We could talk to you all day long, but we also want to respect your time. Uh, <laughs> this has been a fantastic conversation. I learned so much about this. Um, this yeah, was so much fun. I mean, I learned a lot. <laughs> and oh, I like just talking with you and internalizing and externalizing all this stuff. And I rambled a lot. So hopefully listeners are not annoyed. I don't, I don't know. No, I would not. Zero chance of that happening. It's unfold all throughout this conversation. <laughs> well, we thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. And it was great having you here. Thank you so much for having me, Liam and GA. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we do have more, so why not subscribe? And if you really liked us, you can follow us both on LinkedIn for more probably not-so-hot takes. We're always happy to connect with you, so you can reach out to us on LinkedIn or on our website at storybookmarketing.io. Thanks for listening.